everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Latest Shiny. I'm your host, Rob Hirschfeld. Uh, Steve Spector is away uh, at a conference in Canada, open source conference, hopefully finding great new exciting guests to bring onto the show, uh, and who will find them, uh, trap them, and bring them back into the country, maybe, if he doesn't get stopped at the border. So today I have the privilege um, of doing a really deep dive edge containers management and latency discussion with Pele. Uh, Pele, do you want to introduce yourself and give us some background on what you and Mutable do? Uh, absolutely. Well, I am uh, Antonio Pellegrino. As Rob mentioned, uh, people call me Pele, and I am the CEO of Mutable. And with Mutable, what we are really accomplishing is taking the real estate and utilizing from cable as well as telcos and using the cloud as well to basically bring low latency secure compute um, to the masses to be able to provide a cloud like aws experience but on the network edge of all of these uh internet providers there's a whole bunch of stuff that i know is interesting to listeners that we're going to have to unpack and sort of unwind because some of what you're doing is is, is it edge focused or is it you just think edge is a great market for what you're building well, we've been for the past three years already have built a deployment tool for deploying and managing containers and microservices on the cloud providers. And we've been in this mode of constantly changing our product based on how our customers are using it. So originally, we we're actually a, a backend as a service, kind of like Parse and Firebase. And then Three years ago, we made the shift into containers and, and uh, microservices as our customers started growing and they needed to break apart their application into smaller pieces in order to make it more manageable and deploy things faster. Now, one of our customers, uh, who's Hebo, does wireless charging for vehicles. They're about to do a major push and uh, low latency compute and security is actually something that they desperately need in order to scale out what they're doing. We're taking on that challenge of making that happen so we can constantly make our customers um, have the best solution for whatever it is. Kind of the reason why our name is Mutable. <laughs> the name of the company really just is around the idea that you know infrastructure is now software and it's changing all the time. And so the offering that we're going to have is going to change over time. You know, it's the idea of now it's containers, microservices, and we're moving towards you know the edge, which is going to be similar. But in the future, it's going to be functions as a service and all these other offerings that really are just changing over time as how developers need to take advantage of what's the latest. You're sounding very platformy. Let's let's step and and help people understand what the platform is, right? Because you're it's fundamentally container management. Which is which I would call container scheduling. Is that a, is you or orchestration? I prefer scheduling sometimes for containers. Right at the core, right? That's what you're doing. You're helping people place containers in infrastructure. Is that a fair, very high level? Yeah, high level. Um, essentially, the way a developer would utilize this is they make a policy. The policy would be their latency constraint of like what the maximum latency can be. Uh, the number of resources, either memory or CPU or GPU. Um, and then that policy partnered up with a container artifact we would use as a service and automatically deploy it based on when the request is made from either a device or a user. And then we'd automatically schedule it for the length of time that the people or devices need it. 
As soon as it becomes obsolete, meaning it's not being used anymore in that region, we scale it back down and uh, get rid of it. So that way you have thousands of these locations, these data centers that we have all these servers that we're getting access to. We don't need to have everything running everywhere all the time. We can just partner the scheduling of the network um, with the orchestration of the containers um, into one platform. And I think this is a place where you're saying something that we, we hear a lot in edge discussions, which is latency matters. I need to run my workloads with low latency. And, and so the thing that's, that really is different to me is that you're really describing a system where the workloads are rescheduled, moved, because it's really moved into locations where there's a latency, where you've reduced the latency. So I have a need for a container or an application or a microservice in a, in, in a you know, based on it, the latency of that, that access to that service. And, and Mutable is going to reschedule the container to that, to that latency requirement. Is that a, and it's not just latency, but latency to me is a big one for Edge. <laughs> Um, yeah, when we uh, do the deployment or the scheduling, it's it's really, as we said, um, really focused on driving the network. So a lot of this is about stateless information or even stateful stuff. It's all about you know making it all um, distributed databases, so that way there's never a single source of truth, but you know multiple copies that are all coordinating together. And in that realm, we can. It's kind of moving, but more so killing off and starting again whenever needed. <laughs> Which is the microservice pattern. So it's an immutable, it's an immutable pattern um, <laughs> where you're saying, all right, I need to move this container. But one of the things that is really different here is that you're not looking at it as a single site. You actually have to have region zones. You have to be aware of the sort of the infrastructure in a, different, in a way that we typically don't see container schedulers aware of infrastructure is that a fair you have to have awareness at a, at a multi-site level yeah it's, a, it's actually even more difficult than something like a cdn where a cdn it's using things like NCAS and bgp to you know just be able to get to wherever is considered the first hop we have to entertain the idea of services talking to each other over bespoke networks and that information also being latency sensitive it's not just spinning up containers when a request is made from a user or device, but internally, when a service needs to talk to another service, we can spin up a container when it's needed to be able to talk to that as well. And so does that mean that you're helping manage network traffic? So are you routing traffic and tracking the sort of latency between the endpoints? Yeah, that's one of the, the key aspects of managing both the orchestration and the network together we have to have, being a multi-tenant situation where you can have these small containers on a whole bunch of different servers and different locations, you have to create an overlay network that everything is on top of. So the services don't see it as separate networks, even though in reality they are. So in doing that, we have to have tight integration in the flow of traffic. Um, every server to server communication is actually through a, um, a tunnel. Right. Um, so that way, uh, we make sure that data is encrypted in transit as well as in rest. So I want to dig into the edge topic, right? How this sort of how this works, how you're thinking about it. But before we do that, 
I, I have to ask the sort of the, the gorilla in the room question. What about Kubernetes? Why is why is a platform like Kubernetes not this? Or you know, why isn't aren't you just extending Kubernetes? Kubernetes is fantastic as a solution if you control all the environment and all the variables and you are just running it in one location. It's built as a container orchestration of a single location. And once you start adding multiple locations and multiple networks, there are services that have to be involved on top of that to make it work. Kubernetes is a baseline to get started in a lot of this, and a lot of our offering is going to have very similar offerings in regards of provide a container asset, provide a policy, and things get deployed. Obviously, when we talk about the network and how that plays in, it's something that isn't as first-class citizen inside of something like Kubernetes. And Kubernetes as a open source platform, right, is, is exactly that. It's, someone still has to do the implementation of running it. So we're just taking that along and having running something like that across multiple locations that normally wouldn't have access to this type of... What you're describing to me, uh, we see is an emerging pattern in, in these edge conversations. Mm -hmm. Because, right, edge is different than core. Uh, core is where you have big data centers, right, managed in very consistent ways, very homogeneous infrastructure. And, and so when you look at, a core, you know, Kubernetes is a core platform, core cloud platform. In Edge, it's a, it's a very different environment, right? You have to, you've built from the very first this idea that my workloads are going to move, they're going to seek low latency connections, they're going to have scheduling that considers things that aren't even in Kubernetes bailiwick today. And so it's a design for function type of thing. You, you and I were at the Cable Lab Summer Showcase. To me, this was a theme very much like that, where, where edge, edge infrastructure has, is a different beast than core infrastructure. I, it's also defined very differently, depending on who you're talking to. <laughs> so I'm interested, I'm interested in you know, sort of pulling this apart a little bit. How is edge infrastructure different than core? How how's it? You know, how do you see it being different? The different challenges for edge. With edge network is one of the biggest components that has to be a first class citizen that normally would. The other parts of edge is that you have a very small locations that you're going to be in, and they have to be shared with multiple tenants. And in that regard. Um, you don't plan on running everything on the edge, but the things that are sensitive. So you still have the core, things will still be there, but you have the edge as a filtering mechanism, as a way to offload things like hardware um, and run it closer, as well as making things more ephemeral. Instead of having something run forever and you just set it and forget it, things have to be very temporary. They're there for the duration of the time that they're needed and they have to be gone when they're not. So that way that small amount of resources can efficiently be used by all the different types of people that want to use it at the same time. Right. So there's, there's a fundamental security. There's a fundamental that I can provision, deprovision. There's got to be even some prioritization so that I can kick out a job that, you know, maybe is I just don't have the resources for and, and push it back. Mm -hmm. But I guess this, this is one of the interests. You're not talking about just killing a job. What you're really doing is you're making a, a job that needs to run but you're, you're making some value judgment on, well, this can be pulled into back to core or to another, another edge site that meets 
you know, meets the criteria but not as well. Is would that would that type of rebalancing be part of the algorithm? Absolutely. And a lot of that is because of let's say um, out of nowhere you have uh, HBO, you have Game of Thrones come on. The first ten minutes of trying to play Game of Thrones has nothing to do with the CDNs. The CDNs are all out there, they can display the content. What happens is the first ten minutes is you're trying to log in. Can't log in. <laughs> so you're trying to watch your show, and the first 10 minutes, just logging in becomes a queue because the way that they set it up, it doesn't scale up fast enough. So a lot of those things, the logins can be distributed, um, brought a lot closer for those first 10 minutes. Because after the 10 minutes, the core can handle it. Those type of things are uh, really fundamental of shifting around. And when you're talking about let's say autonomous vehicles or drones in the future, um, they have a more immediacy for real, real timeness than you know, something like these HBO logins. So the HBO logins can be pushed a little bit further away whenever there's a need for the autonomous vehicles or let's say uh, emergency services need the low latency right then and there. So there's a lot of reshuffling of moving computer around and making it dynamic. And some of that might even be, you have dynamic pricing based on there's a concert that happens in one location. Um, the pricing at those locations might peak. And then you have all the other applications who need to have low latency, but don't need to have one or five or 10 milliseconds be pushed out just a little bit further to the other nodes that are, you know, still will give you that 10, 20, 30 milliseconds. Right. And, and what, what you're describing to me is an acknowledgement that edge is not infinitely elastic, right? Core, you, we usually assume that it's it's 100% elastic. You know, it's, I can get as much resource as you want. So what you're saying is in my edge, I've always, I'm always assuming a constraint, which is not, an, is not a cloud consumption. You're saying I might have to bump things out of my limited resource pool. And so that that ends up being a, a critical thing. You made it. You had a really good description. I thought of uh, like a facial recognition algorithm <laughs> that that I thought sort of highlighted the same concept. Can you play that back for us? A lot of this was was dealing with um, what was the you were asking what is the uh, the ultimate use case for edge computing? Use case is a big thing when you talk about edge computing because everyone's trying to figure out what's the killer app or whatever it is. And if you go back to the story of like 4G and how Uber started used it and it's only able to be used because of, you know, the idea of 4G existing, they didn't think of it about that when they created it. What I was explaining was the idea that when I see edge compute and I see the idea or the practicality of actually having compute be one to 10 or even less milliseconds, when you have an iPhone or hardware, Right now, you have a $1,000 phone, mainly because it decided to put this new AI chip to do face recognition, And then to support that, it had to increase its battery size and so on. But for the amount of times that you actually use that, why couldn't that just be on the edge? Um, wow. When the battery, things, chips, costs, weight, <laughs> the, the gamut. Okay. Really, though, that could have been done on the edge, right? Taking a photo, because the, the camera itself doesn't need to be incredibly special. Um, you can have all the previous versions of the phone to be able to handle it. Just be able to take that picture, send it to the edge, have the edge do the actual algorithm and, and handle that kind of processing. 
bring it back to the phone, and now mass market, you can reduce this, release this feature to all the phones and not have to drastically increase the price of your device. And the same thing goes for VR, right? A lot of these hardware devices that is now being able, is bloated um, just because of the idea in order for it to work, they're trying to make it all local. And in that mm-hmm. process, they're passing that cost on to the consumer. And there's no way to make it mass marketable if it's at that price point. Right. So this, what this is saying is that, that that device doesn't need all these features. They, they could be pushed to the edge where it's, where the, it's, it's a tiny burst, right? So, so the, the point that you made earlier to me was that this facial recognition camera is microseconds of processing. You could spin up a, a, a container. You could do that, that job at the edge, very low latency. The person never even realizes. And the cost of, of doing the facial unlock would be fractions of pennies. Yeah. And you'd get software updates, you could do additional pieces, right? You could patch it, you wouldn't have to even send it to the phone. You could secure it in ways that were network attached. Now, of course, you, you have the side effect of everything becoming more and more dependent on the network, but people need to get used to the world we're going to. <laughs> cars, right? The connected cars, even before autonomous vehicles, connected cars is, is a thing, right? Like a lot of yeah. those components are dependent and rely on what's happening in the network. I, even even something like ride sharing or those you know uh, dockless scooters and things like that. It's you you can't that thing won't turn on without the network. I think that you know even that's a good example of what you're talking about. I have to make a, as fast a transaction as I can to unlock the scooter so it will drive. All that little that little burst of processing if it has to backhaul all the way to U.S. West. One, it's not as reliable, and two, it's a whole bunch of chains of stuff that we've got to do. But this is so. This is where mutable to me is, is talking about something really interesting. Because normally, I would stand up servers and infrastructure, and I would I would have that standing by to do those a- operations. What what you're saying is no standby resources. I can just let everything fall sort of fall idle, and then the the when a request comes in, mutable is going to spin it, figure out the latency, and spin things up. Is there a, does it have to keep things running and then reroute traffic? What's the algorithm? have a definitely parts that are probably going to be running a good portion of the time and that's going to be you know stateful caches things that are these databases that are you know having complete records of all the dns of every single one of their customers like ns1 or mm. when you're dealing with uh logins and you're trying to have all of the logins that are really related to that geo region which is like the username and the hash um, those type of things will probably be inside of the cable networks um, at what they believe is the core, which is really the regional data centers that they have. And okay. that, the, the head ends, which are the, the lowest rung, the first hop from the cable modem into the home or from the 5G you know, cell tower into the network at those locations will be the processing that's involved and filtering and grabbing information from the IoT uh, devices. And instead of having all that data siphon up into the cloud, you can just send the state of difference, right? What, what has happened and what has changed instead of sending everything. And then in the process of doing that, you now can collect more and more data because you don't have to worry about things falling through the cracks and things like scaling incredibly crazy when you hit the cloud. 
do you think so we've, we had another podcast with Z a couple a couple before where we talk about using machine learning to make some intelligent choices about how that stuff would work how you know where do you, how do you see the software evolving to be smart enough to know what gets forwarded what's in core is that part of the scheduling is that part of the app is that just additional machine learning where does that come from so it would be part of the scheduling. Um, I think a lot of things can be done even rule-based way before you have to grab and, and tune in with, with intelligent, um, artificial intelligence. But um, the biggest thing is collecting data. If we can collect the data of how everything is running all the time, then, for example, instead of waiting for the idea of, let's say, every Sunday night at this time, there is going to be needing this compute to spin up. The AI would just basically learn from the last couple of weeks that this is a trend and automatically spin up these instances before the requests are even made, right? And have that hot and ready and, and ready to go um, instead of it being a couple milliseconds to spin up, which really isn't that big of a deal, but it's yeah, a right. If, right? If, you can, if you can do it in an anticipatory way, then that would make that would be a big sense. Especially if you can say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna warm to warm the cache yeah. for things. So that brings up, right, storage is a big thing, right? You had mentioned at the beginning that this was about stateless. But we have to store data, right? You have to have places where there's doing it. How do I manage storage in this super ephemeral, low latency, you know, latency-seeking environment? Well, it's interesting. Um, if you think about storage and like even things like S3, Right? It's not stored in one place. Right? It's, it's stored in multiple places. Right? And it just seems to the end user using the API that it's one place. Right? That's the whole idea of multi-zone or um, you know, all those type of things, the redundancy sure. factor. And you can make it cheaper by making it less redundant. Um, the same thing's going to happen on the edge. We're going to have um, all the storage from all the servers that we have. And we'll be able to provide that as a service as well. And we are just going to assume that at each location, anything can always die. And so we replicate that across at least three, you know, two other places that will be in that local region. And then the data being produced somewhere else will be the same way. But we want to keep it more as services and object stores than we do just plain disk. The more that it is plain disk, the more that it's hard to figure out how the application would use it and how we can replicate that data in a safe and distributed way. Does that mean using something like uh, S3 APIs to, to replicate it? Like are you using, seeing as standard APIs or standard services that people would regularly use and just mapping mm -hmm. it into this environment or is this a whole new storage concept? I think we can keep very similar to the uh, S3 APIs or Google you know, Cloud Storage APIs. I think a lot of those kind of things are quite well-defined. They do have region-based stuff. They do have global CDN-style stuff. Um, so to replicate those, now replicating storage. Storage is a whole problem by itself, and it's definitely not the first thing we're going to attack. Um, stateless and compute is the core of our system. But once you have that core, you now can attach crazier things on top of it, um, like the storage aspect of it and other services that can run on itself. Um, and, you know, we had this conversation once before about how we use Nix and how that works. And 
how um, that enables us to do crazier things. I think the same thing applies of when you have a very stable base for doing compute, um, you can make crazier uh, assumptions on how to run other things because you have this platform to run other services on top of. And, and that's right. People who are familiar with my background know that you know with digital rebar, we that's that's our mantra is right. Fix, mm -hmm. fix, fix from the bottom up. I, the next, the next piece is super interesting because a lot of people might not be familiar with it, and it's it's a core part of how you've made mutable consumable from a from a ease of use and packaging perspective. Can you tell people what Nix is a little bit and why you, why it's an important part of the platform? So Nix is actually a language for package management. Oddly enough, it's this weird package management language that. You can create a whole OS out of actually. Basically, the premise of how it works is everything that is built is built in a deterministic, repeatable way that is hashed. So the configuration, what version, what dependencies you have is all part of the hash and how it is stored on your computer. So for example, if you need to do a software update on SSL, like the new version of OpenSSL or whatever you're using for TLS, instead of having to restart your machine or install a new version of the OS across all of your fleet, um, all you would do is you would push a copy of this pre-built binary that is for this machine and everything is versioned out. So you actually have two of them running at the same exact time. And in that fashion, you make this world where uh, this was brought up once before. It's kind of like how CoreOS was thinking about having you know, two uh, machines running in the background and you can swap one over. This is actually one machine that you can have multiple versions of an application running at the same time. And that allows you to update things immensely uh, fast and making sure that everything that you're running is exactly the same across all the servers that you're running. So once you have that stable core, we can actually run our platform or the container orchestration inside of itself because we know that the core, meaning the actual software and the OS and how it's running, is going to be deterministic and the same throughout all of our systems. Almost sounds like a microkernel in the way you're describing. <laughs> a lot of it actually, um, all the, uh, the containers that we built are built using Nix and are microkernels. So that's actually very true. Oh, so the container, the container kernel, yeah, it makes sense. Can leverage Nix. It's still using a Linux kernel somewhere deep in the system. So you, you have you have container portability, but for your core ones, you've just reduced the footprint of what those containers are in the starting time. Yes, yeah. like a kernel way. Literally, the only thing inside of the the containers that run our own system is the microkernel to start up the container and run the binary. Everything else is stripped out. What you're describing makes a lot of sense to me. It, it's it's a little bit off of the nor, you know the, the the normal path. Why do you why do you think more people aren't looking at Nix as an option from that perspective? It goes back to a lot of operators don't necessarily treat hardware as software. They treat hardware as hardware in the sense that if you're going to replace it, you're going to replace the whole thing, or you're going to use scripts to modified a little bit. And in our world of treating infrastructure as software, 
we believe that you should control these systems as if you're writing a program. And in that world, you can actually do a lot of things that you would normally shun, like for example, putting network in user space. If you put network in user space, you now can do tremendous amount of things to modify and make that software-defined network uh, great by exposing those buffer layers to the user space uh, to manipulate the packets and send things around. And that's another aspect of what we're doing, but that's the essence of how we're running, treating infrastructure as software. It's hard for the people who've been around to make that leap. So I want to I want to connect the dots because what what you just did, what you just said to me, was an aha moment for the very start of what Mutable's trying to do and solving this edge problem because. Right, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of infrastructure as code and the immutable deployment model and, and, and everything you're describing. And then you went a step further by talking about being able to manipulate and manage networking at an application layer, which fundamentally is what is the, the, the needed thing to move a workload based on latency. You, you have to be able to track, manage, and then manipulate network traffic at a very core level. It, I mean, that's, that's right. Is that that's sort of this aha moment to me is the next infrastructure allows you to then do the type of networking that is required to build this networking aware container management platform. Yeah. So Nix itself is the idea of making sure that all your applications that are on the base level of your OS, and including all of the OS itself, is in a deterministic, um, repeatable way. And once you have that, you then can do trickier things, including taking the network buffering and putting it, exposing it to the user space. And then in doing that, you can run using like Rust and other languages that are immensely fast and safe to be able to manipulate those things. And if it wasn't for having that lower level be so, I don't want to say pristine, but uh, pure in, in how we making sure that everything is the same, like you can't even edit a config file inside of Nix without it being deployed everywhere that way. So that control of all the file system being immutable allows for, there is no mess to clean up afterwards. and Treat that throughout all the layers. Each layer can be more complex. Doing this, this orchestration of the network and the user space enables us to now create this overlay network and be able to do this tunneling between all of these servers as if they were one continuous network. That makes a lot of sense. And, and to me, this is, this is a really important point to pull this back together because what you're building is a full stack. And you started with, you know, a very simple problem description, right? In an edge infrastructure, I have to move workloads where there's latency, but I have to provide a high confidence in security and multi-tenancy so those workloads can show up without worrying about what else is running. Right, you did, you, we've been describing, I don't, I don't think we need to define why that's important, but the technical problem of doing it relies on some things that you're describing in Nix in very significant architectural ways. And I think that's important. 
it's it's interesting to me because I'm thinking through like software defined networking that I see in OpenStack and how it's, we're trying to make it work in Kubernetes with CNIs and and sort of these <laughs> shim layers. Messy. Yeah, the, inelegant. I was going to say inelegant. Yeah. Yeah, messy, right? Because you're 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 dealing with the Docker bridge and all sorts of things. You're just bypassing that. You're 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 adding networking at a layer where you can actually plumb everything the way. It should, you know, not that necessarily it should be, but in, in a way that's more direct. It, it's saying like the approaches that are being done with networking, especially with the current version of software-defined networking, is really using config files because they're coming mm -hmm. from an operator-level deployment, and the operators know how to not really write code, but they know how to modify scripts and configs. We're saying that you shouldn't make those black boxes those black boxes should really be a layer in, as an application. And when you have that control inside of an application layer, then if you move that level up to a higher level uh, layer, then you can do amazing things that um, normally would be considered shunned or like, what are you doing? <laughs> because, you know, at that level, you're taking away some of the predictability in, hey, look, these are the only fine tuned details that you can actually change when you when you open it up to the software application layer you can you, you're the world's at your disposal so I, I have a, a, a nerdy question my mind nerdy um, mm -hmm. to do this right you're going to need a, a fast distributed control plane you're talking about multi-site so your control plane has latency challenges and distributed storage challenges what's your what's the basis of your control plane so the control plane is actually our system that we're building that pertains to how all the uh, servers are connected together. Um, we're using things like WireGuard and whatever to actually have every server to be able to proxy to another server. And then using the service discovery of things like console and whatever else to actually measure the latency between every single node so that way, from any given point, we know how long it takes to go from one service to another or one server to another, regardless of what network it's on, using gossip protocol. Okay, that's okay. That makes sense. So, and that's a good use for gossip. So that way, you have a way to share data. You have a way to actually connect things together in a secure, managed way. Nothing esoteric. You know, it's not remarkably esoteric. It's what the what the protocols are designed for. It's cool. How how would somebody try to use Mutable? What's the what's the starting experience for people? The way that we built it and have been using it for the past three years is really actually around the developer experience. And the developer experience, they should always feel the same way, regardless of how much we change in the infrastructure behind the scenes for when it's deployed. So the way it looks right now is you can download the Mutable app and the local app is a way for you to run microservices together on your computer um, and emulate some of the things like service discovery or config management um, and all these other layers that is part of the system. And then you can either press a button and deploy it or put it part of your, uh, your GitHub CI experience where it goes from there and then pushes the container from whenever you do a push. And in doing that, we make it so that way it's not passing the ball over from 
the developer to an ops team to figure out. Um, it makes it more in the developer's court. And it really is built around the whole idea of flourishing um, DevOps and that kind of mentality. Cool. I have <laughs> one other question based on something you and I talked about before. Cable Labs, which is this industry consortium trying to innovate for cable companies, they have a really significant challenge. We were at this event. How are they responding to this coming wave of edge infrastructure? Do they see it? What, are, what do they want to accomplish? They've been seeing it for the past three years. They just have no idea. And can, can they own it? I mean, is it reasonable for them to compete with Amazon if they have to compete with Amazon? It's one of those things where there is no better real estate to take advantage of this. That real estate is needed. Um, those locations, the head-ins are empty and are becoming emptier and emptier as days go on. Head-ins head are the, the, the customer premise, the, the stuff, not on premise, not customer premises, but then you first hop after. Yeah, it's the first, it's the aggregation point for where all the cable wires come in directly from the cable modem. At that point, those locations are becoming emptier um, and even their core. And the idea of trying to find a new revenue stream to supplement what's going on with the over-the-top, you know, video and other applications that are happening, instead of putting themselves in in a bad spot by trying to charge people for fast lanes or trying to charge people for, you know, just sending data, they can create a business out of it. And in the process of creating a business out of it, they can make the user's experience much better, open the world for a whole bunch of applications that are currently um, not even thought of being possible, like offloading the compute of phones and offloading the compute of computers and all those type of things and bring them closer. Uh, yeah, the augmented reality, virtual reality type experience, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. well, and one of the things you haven't, you haven't said that I think is very real for these uh, head ends is they're become 5G base stations, right? They have the bandwidth, the fiber, uh, very specifically to connect 5G antennas to a backbone that, no, frankly, no other comp no other industry has that bandwidth in position for the, the the potential 5G explosion. Yeah, no, the locations that the cable companies have right now, the the advances that they're doing with fiber, like they're able to increase the amount of bandwidth that they're fiber lines have by a thousandfold. They're constantly finding ways and making coax, which actually reaches the homes of 93% of the US that's already based in the house, making it more like faster and lower latency over and over again. And that kind of presence they have is unmatched. The telcos mainly rent, it, right? They rent the cell tower. They, um, rent and put up all the, the actual antennas, and then they rent out the backhaul, and then it goes to their centralized data source, right? So this is a prime spot where those two industries actually meet um, and is going to usher in this new low latency future of 5G. I'm looking forward to it. I think the potential's there. The whole bunch of IT infrastructure that's going to get bought. <laughs> How do people find out more? Where do they engage with you? Uh, get get more information. You can go to mutable.io or reach out to us on Twitter at mutable. Thank you very much. This has been a great conversation. We had some technical troubles, and so Ellie's been gracious enough to do it again. 
And I think the second time, as usual, was even better than the first. So <laughs> I appreciate your grace in that. Well, thanks for hosting me, and um, you've been doing a fantastic job with all these uh, these podcasts. So thank you. I appreciate that. We have a lot of fun. I get to learn, which is nice. <laughs>